My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. And welcome to Burn Bonus, the bonus episode between season six and seven, our final two seasons of Burn Notice. Today, as you no doubt know from the title of this episode, we are talking about the show Dexter. Chris, why are we talking about Dexter? Well, because we had a discussion and we decided that, A, we're not making more of this show. No, not We're unless not. more people randomly Venmo us, which thank you so much, Grace, to our uh, for, for our surprise. I don't know if you knew that you surprised us on my 30th birthday, but I, I really appreciated that. Happy birthday. I don't know if I actually said You it. didn't. You're right. Happy birthday. It's so funny because when I texted you for your birthday, your response was finally because I said it quite late in the day. Yeah. And it has now been almost a full calendar week. It has been. Happy birthday. <laughs> So much shade for being for being such a hypocrite. No, that's one hundred percent fair. That is a, like I have nothing to say to that. That is accurate. I think part of it was like I remember you because you. What did you do for your birthday? Mostly just worked because it was a Monday. Yeah, no, I kind of. I think I assumed that if it was your birthday, there would be a thing. I mean, there's a there's a coronavirus on. No, I know, and I think it was a thing of like. I think part of me knew it was your birthday, but couldn't believe it because there wasn't a thing. And it was mm. like, oh. So when it happened, I was like, oh, it's it's Bree's birthday? That doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. And then like, I didn't even have like a dinner. Or like exactly. A, yeah. I, like, I thought about it, but well, honestly, so I guess we'll introduce the episode later because it's been a couple of weeks since yeah. we've recorded an episode. But one of the other reasons why I didn't have any specific plans, I didn't have any to begin with just because it's been such a weird couple of months and, you know, Omicron still kind yeah. of surging. Um, was because the four days preceding my birthday, we had a dog, uh, and it was a quite emotional four days. You had a dog? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened? Uh, well, so we we went to a shelter to, to look at some dogs to adopt, and we met a very sweet little girl. Her name uh-huh. was Fergie at the shelter, but didn't really suit her, so we started mm-hmm. calling her Fia. And uh, we brought her home on a foster-to-adopt contract, uh-huh. where like you foster them for four or five days, and then at the end of that, either adopt or bring them back. And yeah. we were leaning towards adopt, and we wanted to. She was so sweet. She was a chihuahua mix, but she was much bigger. The She just had such intense separation anxiety, because the one thing I did do for my birthday was my brother and his girlfriend took me out to Korean barbecue with oh, Quinn. Yeah. And we were gone for two hours. We had her in her crate, and she had, like, destroyed it <laughs> by the time yeah. we came home. And... I had been nervous about it getting up to that because we had to, I, I like, anytime I would close the door to the bathroom, she would whine and cry. Oh, and yeah. she, she, like, basically, she spent the first day and a half, like, totally terrified of everything. And then the next two days obsessed with me, but in a way that, like, was really not healthy for her or for me. Because, like, I couldn't leave the room for more than five minutes, like, forcing her to stay behind without her getting very upset. And sometimes I need to leave right. for more than five minutes at a time. So we, we decided that we, we needed to give her back, but it was obviously a very emotional decision. And so we took her back to the shelter the day before my birthday. And I hadn't slept the night before because she wouldn't sleep because she was so panicked. And like we, it, yeah, it was a lot. Oh my God, I had no idea about <laughs> I know. any of this. I know, I, I was kind of waiting to reveal it to you on podcast. I of was, course I was you were. I was sort of hoping to reveal that we, we had a dog when you got here today, and then that didn't end up working out, so I was like, I guess a whole, because like, we didn't want to post too much about it since it was just a foster no, situation. We didn't want to like make a whole big deal out of a, a dog that, you know, we may or may not even keep. That's, oh my God. <laughs> I kept almost telling you before we started recording, and I was so worried Quinn would blow up my spot. 
I've never a, gotten to have something like this on podcast before. It's so exciting. What a fucking emotional bomb you just dropped <laughs> on me. Like, oh my god, I might cry. Like, I shit. cried a lot. Like, <laughs> we felt hol- so bad. We tried to crate train her a little bit, but like, you know, with only like a couple of days, there was only so much we could do, but she was so, anytime we would put her in her cage, she would get so upset and like, nah, and like we, nothing we could do would calm her down. I'm like, I need a minute. Hold on. <laughs> That's okay. Oh my God. Uh, do you, oh, do you want to see a picture? Oh, I, God, I don't know if I do. <laughs> I mean, I have to see a picture, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, that's a 12 mix heavy on the mix. Like, uh, this little tricolor is a little bit of like Roddy type coloring. Oh, she was also, yeah. the other thing that made it complicated was that we, we met her the day after her spaying. So she had a cum oh. the whole time and she was on drugs for the first couple of days we had her. So I think that also sort of like slowed us learning her personality. And once her personality did come out, she had been just gotten so attached. That yeah, but also like, dangerous. that's a, that's a hell of a thing to do to a dog. Like to, to like spay them and then immediately give them to new people. Yeah. And I'm like, I was surprised that they did it, but if we hadn't, they would have like given her to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, the other problem was that she just wasn't bonding with Quinn. Like she, if we put her on the, the, the couch with us, she would like cuddle up to him if he was the closest, but like she did not care for him at all. Got it. <laughs> she wasn't afraid of him, but she like also wasn't putting right. any effort into spending time with him. And it's like, it's going to be both of our dog. Exactly. We, we need her to, <laughs> Did you sense that perhaps she had a little bit of a dark passenger? <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, she she was so sweet, but she also like we'd never had a dog this small before. Neither Quinn and I have had a dog that small, and also we've never had a dog without a yard. And like there was a lot of things that we knew intellectually, but until having to like deal with it, it was like it made me so much more paranoid of like you have to pee. I cannot take you back inside, even though you're terrified of all the cars, <laughs> until you pee because I know you will pee on my carpet because you have already done so twice. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, exactly. I will say I love dogs. Mm-hmm. I've worked with dogs for years. Like my roommates have a dog that I adore. I am not someone who will ever own a dog. Really? Yeah, I love them. I think... You'll be a cat lady? I'm a cat lady. I've always been a cat lady. I like owning cats. And I think, like, part of it is because you can leave them alone. Mm-hmm. And they they take care of themselves. Yeah. I mean, like, I would love to have a cat, too. But, like, I'm so allergic. I was... Even for the four days she Via was in our house, I was sneezing a lot more. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But anyway, that's so sad. I know. Yeah. That's Quinn and so... I, well, and like, it was really rough because like, she had just gotten more and more anxious about being apart from me the longer we had her. And like, we tried to like, keep her in her crate overnight, like in our, in our room with us. But like, even that separation, even though she knew I was there, she was crying loudly. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, I had to take her out of the crate and she was like, you know, bouncing around and all, right. all upset. And I just took her to the living room and slept with her on the couch. Well, I didn't sleep. She just yeah, you know, no, stayed out and Quinn slept in the bedroom and that was when she finally calmed down so she was at least quiet although she was like you know getting up and scratching at her cone Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so like I didn't sleep that whole night I'm just like exhausted the day before my 30th birthday and I'm like we can't do this Quinn we have to take her back and like I was so upset we were both crying 
But when we took her back to the shelter, she like instantly saw, you know, a a couple of handlers that she knew and was so excited to see them and was like wagging her tail and there were dogs around and she was being the most social we'd seen her since we picked her up from there. So I felt less bad. You know, it's one thing if they're like looking at you with the sad eyes, like, oh, no, you're giving me away. Like as we were afraid, but she did seem genuinely excited to be back there. And I'm also kind of glad because she had just come to the shelter when we met her. Uh, Another shelter had dropped her off and they had rescued her from the street. She wasn't microchipped, so she was either a stray or had just, you know, escaped. Right. Yeah. But no one had come looking for her, and um, so, and then she'd just gotten spayed, and so, like, they just didn't know anything about her. So in some ways, it was helpful for us to have, have taken her in, because now we could tell her, like, them, she's very anxious. I think she probably needs another dog to, like, uh-huh. look after her, so she has a buddy to bond with that doesn't need to be, like, attached at the hip yeah. 100% of the time, or she needs, like, a retired person who's literally not going to leave forever. Or it's just, you know... Meds. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I I know about. Dog I'm sure you do. Um, you know what else I know about? What's that? Dexter. Yeah. So okay. So to go back to what we were talking about. Yeah. So I think there's an episode that came out mid season of last season where I posed the question to her: What would the ne- like as a thought exercise? What would the next like season of this show, not called Bird Noticed at that point, be about. And we debated for a little while on episode, and I think I cut a lot of it out just because we never really came to a conclusion and then realized we need to finish the episode. (laughs) But then we kept talking about it for like an hour after that episode ended. And eventually we came upon Dexter. I, do you remember the specific reasons why Dexter? Because you were the one that pitched Dexter, and the more we talked about it, the more we realized, like, oh yeah, that would that would make the most sense. I mean, there's lots of things started around the same time. Yep, 2006, October 2006. In a lot of ways, it has a lot of similarities. We've talked about the similarities before. Not I, to Dexter. Dexter has never come up on the podcast. Really? Mm-mm. I feel we, like we, we have to have done. Because no, because original, because I, I edited the episodes. Um, the original question that I asked you technically was the joke: if we had to pick between white collar and prison break, I was like, in the hypothetical situation, would you rather do a white collar or a prison break uh, ep- podcast with me? And you were like, absolutely not to either of them. And then it started a conversation about, generally speaking, what things would be. No, I mean, in a more general sense, on this podcast in the past we have talked about dexter and oh, I maybe. Think, like and the similarities of it because they're both shows that are set in miami and are shows that have a lot of voiceover mm-hmm. that has like the like lead kind of explaining his process to us mm-hmm. and so like in that way they are very similar a vaguely asexual lead a vaguely asexual lead and we will talk about that a lot <laughs> and also the thing that i didn't want to do in another series of this show Mm -hmm. was another procedural that was the same as burn notice. That's why like as much as everyone and by everyone, I mean my, my personal friends and Brie would like want us to do leverage. Mm -hmm. It's like, we don't need to say anything about leverage because we will, we've already said it about burn notice. Like every day, if we did a leverage podcast, it would just be, like, yeah, that was better than Burn Notice. <laughs> exactly. And that's like, not interesting. And and yeah. what, I think we also had a long conversation about, like, what is, what makes this show this show? What makes this show not just a television recap show, which would allow us to extrapolate, like, okay, what would an additional season of it look like if we were no longer doing Burn Notice? And Dexter seemed like a good, like, a 
evolution away from procedural that wasn't completely off procedural. I think we right. also talked about like, so the big things that in our minds define this show is that like we have the rubric. The rubric is an important facet of the way in which we do the show. Uh-huh. And a look at like procedural television and procedural, not just in the sense of like, solving crimes but procedural in the sense of like there is a formula we are hitting certain story beats every week Mm -hmm. and like the the point of the show is that the characters have a task that they have to solve every week Mm -hmm. and that task gets solved Mm -hmm. and that is a thing and i think like looking at dexter because dexter kind of sits in this weird like place in like the golden age of television of being around at that same time and definitely I remember when the golden age of television was happening Mm -hmm. and Dexter was always talked about as being part of it in a way that it's not talked about as being part of it now because Dexter almost feels a little bit like a a road not traveled for television Mm -hmm. in the way that it incorporates its arcs into its proceduralness Mm -hmm. in the way that it is a show that has a formula that it's going to execute every week in a very television way when what ended up happening was that television television ended up moving away from that Mm -hmm. the once a week thing yeah it got a lot more serialized a Uh, lot less episodic yeah and not just more serialized but like more serialized in the sense of Structurally, episodes will be different. Mm-hmm. Like, the structure of the episode is, like, totally dictated by the story. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a situation where episodes can be off format because there's not a format for them to be off. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Dexter is still a very format show. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is what's interesting about it, is looking at this show that is evolving the genre while still being very format Yeah, and I think that's something that, like, interests us because, like, as storytellers, as writers, as viewers of television, and as people who are, like, just individually very interested in structure as a whole, we like talking about structures, and it, like, I think that the procedural deserves, like, acknowledgement because I think there's a like I think a lot of people are quick to write off procedural television even heightened procedural television as like rote and boring and just sort of like a you know a poor man's way to waste a Saturday afternoon sort of a thing and I don't think that's fair and I think that there's a lot of interesting things happening when shows take a common structural format and like see how far they can go with it. And so we also sort of talked about, like, eventually, you know, in this hypothetical situation where we're making a ton more of this show, Dexter would be the next one because it would be close enough to, like, the criminal procedural solving thing that, like, it wouldn't feel like a complete random departure, but it's also evolving the form enough towards the golden native television, you know, stamp of approval that it would allow us to go to slightly different conclusions but then we were thinking a season three would look like maybe a a fantasy monster of the week style thing yeah exactly because that is also very procedural you know buffy for you know all that it is is also kind of a procedural no it is i think like i've been watching a lot of star trek Mm -hmm. and i gave you a list of star trek i have not watched it yet but that's also a show that like because i think we talked about a little bit on the podcast and then off about the distinction between a procedural and a monster of the week show. Mm -hmm. And I think my original 
pitch was that we needed to do to do a monster of the week show, mm-hmm. which is like a procedural, but like structurally a little bit different mm-hmm. and examining that structure. Mm-hmm. And I think we agreed that that would be a good thing after Dexter. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, doing a monster of the week show, looking at a slightly different format, mm-hmm. whereas like this feels like an evolution of the format, mm-hmm. even though this show premiered at the same time as Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. It feels almost like an evolution of Burn Notice. Totally. Because Burn Notice was kind of just doing a really cool, interesting version of what had already been done. And Dexter was looking at, was like appreciating what had already been done and building upon it. I don't know if Burn Notice built upon it so much as just used it, languished in it and tried to use all of its best sort of tried and true methodology to make an interesting show. Dexter was like, I appreciate that. Now I'm going to try like two extra things on top of this. Like Dexter... In its first season stage, feels like a show that could be the show following Burn Notice just in terms of evolution. Mm-hmm. Like, like this first season feels like a later season Burn Notice season in terms of totally. how it's putting its plot together. Mm-hmm. The complexity of the yeah. character relationships. Exactly. Oh, also, we should mention that there's the the pilots of both Burn Notice and Dexter have share an actor. Uh, David Zayas or Zayas is in the Burn Notice pilot and is also a like re- regular. That's like, right. Full member of the Dexter cast. And do you want to talk about Dexter now? Like just as a yeah, I think. Do you have any initial thoughts of, like, what would make it? Because, like, ostensibly this episode, we're talking about a lot of things, but ostensibly this bonus episode was, like, almost like an episode zero for our hypothetical that we're never going to do Dexter series. Unless someone gave us a lot of money. Yeah, like, a lot of money on a regular basis that would make it, like, not... That would make it feasible. Because I don't want to say, like, make it worth our time. Because, like... I am interested in having, continuing to have conversations with you. I'm no, definitely going to watch, I will watch Star Trek. I have been on a romance novel kick. I have read eight romance novels in the past, like, four days. Five of them in one day. I have an episode of Star Trek for you. <laughs> and I understand. There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that is famously bad that I almost put on the list because it is an episode of, like, Star Trek that is built and based on, like, romance novels and it literally takes place in, I think, the Scottish Highlands. Incredible. Like, but, like, on a Scottish Highlands planet. <laughs> like. Heaven. Uh, Space heaven. It's like. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. No, it's amazing. Okay, well, we'll come back to this. But point being, I wanted to put it out there again because I think sometimes uh, I especially am a little bit flippant about why we're not continuing a version yeah. of this show. But, like, I like doing it. I no, think it's I fun. I love talking to Christine about a variety of topics. I just, I, it's too much. It's too much of a commitment for make for actively losing money on it. And like, I, you know, I got to set boundaries. I got to be able to take days off yeah. instead of spending an entire day, like thinking about and watching and editing a burn notice podcast to no end. Exactly. I'm not currently in a place in my life where a hobby can take up this much time and not have any uh, like, and, and require this much regular maintenance. <laughs> um, Instead of using that time for other things. Right. So just to put that out there. But that's what the episode is, is we're doing an episode zero for, hey, if you give us lots of money, a Dexter season. So yeah, and I think we'll like discuss Dexter a little bit. And then at the end of the episode, kind of like the second half, the rest of it will be putting together a rubric for the show that we would do. 
Sure. Okay, um, fair enough. So, yeah, what do, what do you want to talk about? Well, Vis-a-vis I, Dexter. Because I think Dexter, like, watching the pilot just now, I just watched it, mm-hmm. is a fascinating document. Okay. It's Expand on that. So, I have been thinking for a while about pulp. Mm-hmm. And an, a genre kind of adjacent to pulp that I've started calling post-pulp. I think pulp is, like, in the original sense of, like, like, like pulp novels and mm-hmm. stuff and, like... Noir. Noir and stuff like that. Where I think that the main emphasis of it, like, the one of the main pleasures of pulp is sensuality. And I don't necessarily mean sexuality, but, like, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, like, very immediate physical pleasures. The stories are very immediate and physical and sensual... Like, they're about bodies, they're about, like, sensual experiences and, like, feelings on, like, a very basic, immediate level. Mm -hmm. And then, like, post-pulp type things are things that, like, starting with, like, Lucas Lucas and Spielberg, wherein, like, these pulp narratives are done again, but, like, a little more intellectualized, they're much more emphasis on, like, cleverness mm-hmm. and more emphasis on kind of self-aware formalism of doing pulp things, but with, like, a very strong artistic eye mm-hmm. and a sense of virtuosity there. And so you get, like, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff like that, and that's all kind of... It's a little more family-friendly. friendly, mm-hmm. And because of that, like, a lot of the sensuality of it gets stripped away. Mm-hmm. Like... And I think that's the case with movies more so than television anyways. No, totally. But I think even with television, so, like, and, like, the epitome of, like, and the kind of post-pulp, post-post-pulp that we live in now is, like, epitomized by, like, the MCU, which, of course, has, like, no sensuality to it at all. Yeah, no. And so one of the things that was so interesting to me watching, like, this show, watching Dexter, is how sensual it is and, like, mm-hmm. how much it is about sex and violence mm-hmm. and, like... In a way that's not that self-conscious either. It's mm. not like, it's not as if it's like, we're doing quote-unquote sex and violence. Mm-hmm. It's just about sex and violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I also think it is a show that is about, it is simultaneously about, but also doesn't quite know what to say about A, neuro- neurodivergence. Sure. And B, police violence. Yeah, I was going to say, there was definitely an interesting undercurrent of um, of the limits of justice under the law. That I think is kind of an interesting thing that, like, Burn Notice also sort of touches on. Where, like, they're both shows where they kind of have to like the cops and or government to a certain extent. But the show requires them to have a heavy enough level of, like if not disrespect, dissatisfaction to allow them to do their extrajudicial, like, activities. Well, yeah, because, like, any show that's, like, about, like, a renegade cop or whatever Mm -hmm. is, like, fundamentally about the limits of the law, Mm -hmm. um, but, like, the law as opposed to justice. And so, like, um, the villains become paperwork. It becomes, like... Mm -hmm. like But that is different from Burn Notice and Dexter because there is also a level to which... They almost seem to understand that, like, it's not just the limits of judicial judicial justice, but it's also, like, maybe sometimes they're wrong. No, but it's also, I think, fundamentally a show about, a lot of cop shows are about this, are, in a, but in this one, in a way that is particularly interesting, 
about the belief that in order for there to be real safety and proper justice, Mm -hmm. there has to be a monster that is on our side. There has to be, like, this is a show that acknowledges that, like, cops are monsters. And, like, that there is a deep inhuman monstrousness at the center of, like, the whole enterprise of the police. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the thing is, Dexter is taught by, like, a policeman. Mm -hmm. And, like, everything, all of his code is, like, built on, like, policing. Mm -hmm. And he works for the police. And the thing is, almost none of the other policemen notice that there is something, like, cold and evil in the heart of him. Mm -hmm. Because this is the atmosphere that they live in. Like, Mm -hmm. It is, like, there is a thing that is cold and dark in the heart of all policing. Mm -hmm. And this is a show that sees that and replicates that while also not having anything to say about that, Mm -hmm. which is why it eventually goes off the rails. Right. It is a show, it is about our relationship to the police and the way that we kind of secretly want, I say we, not me, but, like, (laughs) America, Mm -hmm. like, wants to believe that it can harness the power of these monsters for good mm-hmm. because justice requires some sort of monstrousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it like, And the problem with like lots of like the justice system is that it cages the monstrousness too much. Like the problem with like, like it government mu- is it that muzzles like, the monster. it muzzles the monster. Like, yeah, like victims, like, like prisoners rights and like, uh, innocent till proven guilty, all this stuff muzzles the monster. And so, like... And we need the monster to be safe. Exactly. And the thing is, and it becomes this thing where, like, the show loves the monster a little bit too much, mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite in the earlier seasons, but it also, again, has this very weird relationship with neurodivergence where it's this very kind of... It is a show about a non-neurotypical person that is written by very obviously neurotypical people. It's right. very much like people like doing a weird thought experiment about what's it like to have a different brain when I... there's people who have different brains <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Something that I do think is interesting is that I don't know if they think about it as far as like a Dr. Brennan from Bones neurodivergence. I do think that you could easily textually read this as though they think that this is just an exploration of like what happens to the mind after such a significant trauma happens. Cause obviously the textural thing with, with Dexter is that his mother was murdered in front of him and his brother when he was like a baby and he sat in her blood for like three days and that yeah. fundamentally fucked him up. So there is like a concrete thing that happened to this kid, this traumatic thing that turned, that gave him a dark passenger that follows him around. I'm not saying that that's, really what it feels like. I do think that I don't know how much they would say that they're exploring neurodivergence. No, I don't think they would because I think, and this is why I kind of loved watching the pilot Mm -hmm. is it is one of my favorite kinds of pieces of art wherein the artist kind of has no idea what they've created. (laughs) Like wherein like, and this is why I think it's so important. Like, to understand correctly the concept of death of the author. Mm-hmm. Like, death of the author doesn't necessarily mean you don't consider the author's perspective or you only consider the text 
outside of any context. Mm-hmm. But it's more like you don't give primacy to the author's context. And I think you give primacy to the world that the author is existing in. Like, 2006 was this? Mm-hmm. 2006 was a very specific time. And, like, it's very much a show that exists in 2006. And, like, with all of our feelings about cops and about, like, people who are neurodivergent and violence and sex. And uh, because this is also so much a show about sex. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because, like, we are introduced to Dexter's sex life in the in the form of he he's dating a woman who has been sexually traumatized and he loves that. Not for like a sick freak reason, but because it means that she doesn't want him to touch her. And he's like, this is perfect. She is the perfect cover. We don't have to have sex. I allow her to feel safe and I can pretend to, you know, be a normal dude. And it is interesting because like I had totally forgotten until I rewatched because I haven't rewatched Dexter in a really long time and I never finished it. This is another one like Burn Notice where I was obsessed with the show for quite a while. I had rewatched a good portion of it multiple times, but I've never actually finished it. That was another reason why this was a logical mm-hmm. thing because I had a similar relationship where right. like, I owned like the first four seasons on DVD. Mm-hmm. I like definitely watched them at least once or t- like once, maybe two or three times. Mm-hmm. And didn't really watch beyond season five. We, I mean, Dexter, though, we know what happens at the end, right? Exactly. You know what happens. No, I yeah. know what happens. And so that's, that is also sort of an interesting evolution from Bernadette to Dexter is that, like, while we have a similar relationship to, like, how much of the show we watched and how we watched it, we have more familiarity because this show had a more prominent place in pop culture that was hard to exactly. avoid. Uh, off mic, we were talking about Game of Thrones, but mm-hmm. this is one of those shows like Game of Thrones and like How I Met Your Mother. Uh, How I Met Your Mother, another show that is kind of a road less traveled for uh, the evolution of television, mm-hmm. is one of those shows that became retroactively worse because of how bad it got and like, yeah. because of its finale. How I Met Your Mother, um, unfortunately, is also significantly more dated. Yeah. It like rewatching it. Every time I rewatch it, I get less and less joy. Not because the jokes become less funny necessarily, but because more, more, more and more things stand out as, oh, that's not okay to say. No, it's not. Oh, that's not okay to handle this that way. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, this is, this is rough. Right. And, like, there's definitely some roughness to Dexter. Sure. Because it is so concerned with bodies and sensuality mm-hmm. and not actually... It is, it is a show that has themes... Sort of on purpose, but only sort of. Like, mm-hmm. like the writers are definitely thinking about things, but they're not... You don't get the sense that, like, Dexter is made by very smart people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it's made by very creative people. So there's, there's not a whole lot of, like, intellectualization going on in Dexter. Mm-hmm. Like, there is, like... But it's the most basic, like, shallow intellectualization. So, like, everything that's interesting about Dexter kind of is happening by accident. Because it is, it's just, like, necessarily through its premise is dealing in all of these themes. Mm-hmm. And dealing in all of this really potent imagery and stuff that, like, is as long as you do something with that and execu- execute it with any level of artistry, which, like, the writers are doing, which mm-hmm. the directors are doing, and the, ac- the actors are all doing. Mm-hmm. 
great cast on this show. Yeah. You're going to come up with something potent. It's going to be weird and a little confused. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not going to end well. And it didn't. And it didn't. (laughs) But it's potent. Yeah. It's a a show that's curious, but maybe doesn't have any conclusions. No, it doesn't. To take those curiosities to. But the exploration is fun. It is. It's a fun ride. So so on, going back to neuroatypical, neuroatypicality. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce that? I mean, that's why... I always say neurodivergence. It's a little easier. So going back to the neurodivergence of it all, something that I was thinking of, because I was having actually a really hard time because this show is so visual, so visceral, so much more of what we think of as like a traditional television show separate from a procedural. I was actually having a hard time coming up with any things that I would pitch for a rubric. I'm wondering though, something that I notice a lot is there's a lot of, I, I, how much do you trust the voiceover? In what sense? Well, so in Burn Notice, I 100% trust that this is an unfiltered, accurate opinion of how Michael Weston feels. He often says things in voiceover that he may not even be cognizant of in like the actual show text yet. His voiceover seems more mature than he actually is. Well, I, I'm wondering how you feel about Dexter because Dexter... Does, obviously doesn't have as like he, he has process certainly but Dexter's voiceover reveals far more about character and about the dichotomy of his yeah. presentation versus his actual opinions and I'm curious how you interpret that do you believe De- Dexter when he's like I don't uh, I wish I felt things I mean it's sort of interesting because talking about Star Trek for a second mm-hmm. a lot of the way that the show plays Dexter Reminds me of the way that Next Generation played Data, wherein it's like people who, again, are like writing about what they imagine someone with a fundamentally different brain would be like Mm -hmm. without consulting anyone or really thinking about the fact that other people do have fundamentally different brains. Mm -hmm. Because something that I noticed, uh, because I watched a couple more episodes, I I watched like the first six or so before I I went back to doing other things. And, And I watched this about a week ago. But something that struck me is that like, as much as the uh, the Michael C. Hall fully commits with his whole body to playing Dexter, there are moments in like the more sort of traditional, like, you know, him out in the world scenes, not murdering people, like with the kids, for instance, with Rita's kids, where he will say in his head, if I had a heart, it would be breaking or something like that. But like Michael C. Hall isn't like either he is such a good manipulator or he genuinely, I feel like a lot of Dexter, and I've always thought this, is people have told him that he's cold and he doesn't have emotions. And I think Harry, like, you know, leaned into you are a monster. So we just need to force the monster to do things for good. But I don't know how much I buy Dexter's own monstrousness. And I think that he has been told that he is a one way when he does actually feel things. The fact that he can instantly interpret what he would be feeling were he feeling makes me not believe that he's not actually feeling it to a certain extent. I mean, does that that make sense? That is the thing. And again, like, that is the way, like, there's a reason that's why I brought up Data, because a lot of the stuff that they did on Star Trek mm-hmm. has that same vibe, where mm-hmm. it's like, you have the character saying, this is when I would be feeling something, and it's like, you would, you can only know that by feeling it, mm-hmm. like, like that sort of thing. And and you don't think that that was, that, you think that that is a misunderstanding of how neurodivergence works, less than a, like, a Easter egg almost? Well, no, I don't think, I think it's not an Easter egg, but I think it's both. I think it's like... An intentional... Like, I think it's intentional. I think... An intentional, unreliable narrator. Yes. No, I definitely think so. Yes. Okay. I think like... But you also brought up a good point. So we have not finished Burn Notice. No. 
No, we have one um, more season. We were going to start recording next season next week. So you guys won't hear the next season start for another couple of weeks to give me some time to catch up on editing. But we are going right ahead with finishing this season. Um. So, but I do think that, like, it will be revealed to be a little bit more textual that the voiceover is, ha- like, happening later. I can confirm, yes. Yes. Because so, like, I, I know... I know the how it, the show ends. Exactly. I, well, I don't know how like where characters end up necessarily, but I know but yeah. one very vital thing exactly. that deals directly with the voiceover. Exactly. Whereas I fully believe that the voiceover in Dexter is happening in the present tense. Yes, I agree. Like he is talking to us while things are happening. Mm-hmm. There's no like the character has no time to like reflect. Uh, reflect. Mm-hmm. So there's not that or extra interpret. layer. Mm-hmm. So like. He is telling us the things that he is thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. And so that affects, like, how, like, he feels about things and the reliableness. It's not that he's an unreliable narrator in the sense that he is lying to us, but, like, he is not someone who necessarily has the best understanding of himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening with the, the narration. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a good point. That, yeah, Dex- I, yeah, I don't think any of Dexter's voiceover could be interpreted as a thing that happens later like it's very much a he has a running commentary in his head as he wanders around and uh, i i will say one of the things i was going to pitch is like something really brutal in his voiceover makes you laugh <laughs> that's a that's a rule for me because like there you know burn notice has its moments of silliness but like dexter is trying to be a dark comedy in many ways no it is and i really like that because like it's such a grotesque concept and they don't shy away from some of the more grotesque aspects of everything in this show. And I like that. And I like that they also undercut it by Dexter being like a, just a irascible little shit. He is an irascible <laughs> little shit. He's so good. I mean, Michael C. Hall is so good on this he's show. Like, so he's so good. so good on this show. It's also interesting because he's definitely older. Like, he's like in his 60s now. He like just turned 60 or something. Yeah. Like, he was an older guy in this show. No, I think older than a lot of leading men in this kind of show. Yeah. But I almost think that works better because he just he has this sort of confidence in his own performance no, totally. that I feel like a lot of younger actors don't have. He has complete control over it and it's so interesting to watch because he's having a good time, but you can tell he is like near Jeremy Strong levels of committed to it. No, of course, but I think that also like works so well for the character mm-hmm. because like the character is is a performance. Like sure. the character is performing. Mm-hmm. And like it's one of those things where it's like you're definitely supposed to think about where the performative aspects of the character and and like the character's actually feel mm-hmm. actual feelings began and that's mm-hmm. definitely a thing that the show plays with totally but yeah no there is like a, com- a intensity and a totality of the performance to it and like like you were saying earlier about like the scene with the kids like he is so good at it mm-hmm. that it feels like it can't be fake there's an effortlessness with which he he not only reacts but takes initiative yeah that makes it feel like I don't think he is as unfeeling as he seems to interpret that he is. But it's also like, that's, like, it's also, it is a performance. Sure. It is literally Michael C. Hall doing a performance. Uh And like, it's one of those things that I think a lot about when you have actors who are portraying characters that are acting on screen, Mm -hmm. like, you kind of have to make a choice about whether or not they are as good actors as the actor playing them. Right. And, like, the show, I think, is making a choice that, like, Dexter is as good an actor as Michael C. Hall is. Mm -hmm. And, like, part of acting is, like, kind of bringing yourself into it. I think, like, 
Dexter, again, like you said, because, like, he's been told that he doesn't have feelings, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada, is definitely interprets, like, his own self as performance, because emotions are performative. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of my day wondering, am I actually feeling this, or do I feel like I should feel this? And I spend way too much time analyzing my own, like, first impressions of things, or, like, my first thought at a certain, like, stimuli yeah that is honestly so exhausting i mean like there is evidence that you smile and then your brain reacts to you smiling Mm -hmm. and decides that you're happy right like like that kind of thing like you have to like realize that to some extent that's all emotions are feedback loops totally And, Um, and i think that that's such an interesting thing in dexter because like as he performs a particular action or emotion over and over again that becomes his honest experience of that emotion. And if he can pick up on the stimuli that create that emotion over and over again, is he not developing that emotion? You know, like at a certain point, when does performance end and true experience begin? Exactly. And this is the thing, again, not to keep bringing up data, because I've been (laughs) watching Star Trek recently as well. I watched the list that I gave to you. Mm -hmm. And it's a remarkably similar tech, like storytelling and performance that they're doing with both characters mm-hmm. of, like, the idea of, like, emergent humanity. Sure. Yeah, I know enough about Data to, yeah. to, to pick up, lar- you know, the, the broad strokes exactly. that you're putting down. No, of course, yeah. Data's a very famous character. I'm on Tumblr. You're on I Tumblr. I, I have seen things. You have seen Data. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think... That's the thing that's interesting about it. Mm-hmm. I might watch more of Dexter. I, I was going to ask. That was my literal um, next question. I, I don't know. Um, it's on Amazon Prime, even if you don't have shows. Yeah. I like, I I'm, will say if someone gave me money, I wouldn't mind talking about it. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't either, honestly. And like, because the show is like a little bit more highbrow and I sometimes have a hard time distilling why I like highbrow things. Like you have brought up a lot of things in this conversation that I'm like, oh, yeah, I had that under the currents, but you you bring it out of me, which I really appreciate. And like, I like watching TV with you and hearing you talk about it because it reminds me that like I'm not an idiot. I just sometimes like to sit back and let entertainment wash over me. And I enjoy that you allow me to go further than that. And it is one of those things where like, when I watch things like this, mm-hmm. I do try to let it wash over me. Mm-hmm. And like... I mean, sometimes when things are really, like, I definitely had a lot of thoughts while I was watching the pilot. Mm-hmm. But also, like, for me, all the things that, like, all these things that I'm picking up on are usually kind of subconscious. And then, like, I immediately, once it's over, I go, well, why did I feel that way? Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, I think I am someone who is mostly just good at, like, interpreting her own emotional reactions to things. And I, um, if I, if I set out to do that, I'm yeah. okay at that. But you articulate them better. Like, you are to me, what you are to yourself. And I like that. And that's why we've yeah. had a podcast for three exactly. years, you know? Oh my gosh. So like, please pay us because yeah. this is a very interesting conversation that I'm glad we're having. Exactly. And if you don't, that's fine. That's, like, that's fine like, too. Well, then we'll have more time. I'll have my Sundays back. Like, mm-hmm. like there's like, you could interpret us asking for money multiple times as like a demand for money. <laughs> but that's not what we're doing here. No. It's more just like, like acknowledging what we can and can't do. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I'm happy either way. Yeah. I'm, like, genuinely happy either way. If we, like, I would do this show, I would not do this show. But yep. if we did this show, we would need a rubric. Yeah, we would need a rubric. So, okay, are were there any things that, like, stuck out instantly as, like, this, this is part of the Dexter formula that demands to be stated? Okay, well, so the obvious thing is that, like, he's got to kill someone, right? Right. But it's, like, that's such an obvious thing, like... 
Like, but I mean, one of the things for Burn Notice is that like they solve the weekly case with Spycraft. Exactly, violence. this is the thing where it's like, and it's also not I, just I guess. imagine there's a handful of episodes where he doesn't actually like. There's I think even uh, early in season one, I feel like there's an episode where he doesn't kill a kid. He thinks a kid. It's that it's that episode about the kid who was like molested and brutally murdered uh, a person who it turned out molested him, but Dexter thought he was just a murderer and then let the kid go. I don't remember. Probably it's been a long time since mm-hmm. I watched Dexter. I don't think he kills anyone in that episode, but I so could be I wrong. So I think like yeah, cuz if cuz we don't have a rule in the Burners show that there has to be a bad guy because that's obvious and right. also not necessarily specific to, like, Dexter or Burn Notice that there is, like, a well, case. So, so it has to be, like, something a little more specific to the show. Okay, so... There's a couple of things I thought of, like... There's, like, a theatricality. There's a theatric... Like, that has to be, be, like... It's, like, the alias rule of Burn Notice, but in this, it's, like, Dexter has to do something more theatrical than simply killing the his victim. Like, so I was thinking, like, what is the iconography of this show? The iconography of this show is the plastic like, plastic like yeah plastic there has to be like i think one of the rules should relate to plastic in some way hmm. i think that's important i think at one point one rule that i came up with while i was watching was like at least three characters have to talk about sex <laughs> three yeah that sounds that's so many yeah, but they talk about sex a lot on this show. Like, I don't know if they do the in other later episodes. Like, a pilot cannot be fully indicative of the. I rest mean, that's of fair. Show. I'd have to like watch, but like, because the thing is that like you have one character who talks about sex constantly, mm-hmm. and so that's your gimme, right? Like, you have so maybe two, two separate. There have. But to I be... also think that like also, um, what's his name? Who was on the Burnout's pilot? Uh, talks about, Batista. Batista talks about sex a decent amount. Mm-hmm. I think there's more sex in the show and more discussion of sex than you remember. <laughs> like, I mean, you watch a little bit more than yeah, I, did, I did, but like, it comes up slightly less like, because we actually start getting to know the characters and like Batista's issues with his wife. Yeah, and, you know. I think there has to be okay, maybe two then. Like, maybe like I think there needs to be two separate characters who bring up sex independently of one yes. another. Our own little spectral test, our sextal test. <laughs> Yeah, well, because basically I don't want it to be where two characters are talking about sex because one of them brought it up. There no, needs no, to be two independent, no, independent instances. Yes, two independent instances of people. Yeah, that's like, an important distinction. Yeah. I also had forgotten how much donuts were a part of the show. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like, donuts, donuts are, 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 are into yogurts. Exactly. I mean, I think that's also a little bit more yeah, no, pilot. Could, yeah, no, totally, though. Can I say, though, it, I remember he walks into, like, a fully populated police station of, like, a large metropolitan city mm-hmm. with, like, a dozen donuts mm-hmm. and just starts giving them to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, more than 12 people work at this place. <laughs> like, yeah, there is a, a TARDIS within that Krispy Kreme yeah. box. And to be fair, I think, like, I imagine, I didn't count, but I bet, like, because the episode probably counts out 12 donuts. Mm-hmm. Like, because he's got a dozen and, like it leads up to the ridiculous moment where he like looks inside the empty box and goes, it's empty like me. (laughs) So that was one thing that where I'm like, something really dark has to make us laugh out loud. Yeah. Because like so much of his voiceover is like, it's so bleak, but in the most hilarious way. And he's doing that on purpose. Like he's doing little jokes for himself, which I like so much. And I don't know how to like, conceptualize that as a rule 
Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, that's hard to... Because there needs to be something voiceover related. No, there does need to be something voiceover related. Um, I was also wondering if uh, one thing could be that there is at least one moment in Dexter's dialogue that makes us distrust him as the narrator. Interesting. Like, something where we're like, I don't believe you. I don't know if... I don't know. I think... That's a little hard. That's not really yeah. concrete. But that that was an idea that I was thinking of. Because so much of the voiceover is sort of like, you kind of have to treat it suspiciously. No, I, yeah, I do. Well, I think like, I don't know if suspiciously is the right word. Because again, I think like, I do think that he is mostly being honest with us. All of our rules for burn notice are about story mechanics. Right. That's true. But I think the dark comedy is, of the voiceover is a story mechanic. Yeah. Because it, it, is, it, is, it is distinct to their tone. Right. It is setting a very specific tone for their main character. Like, yeah. So what were some things in perhaps some other episodes and like, what, like, what would pass this for you? Like, what, what's a passing thing? Like, I mean, it, it's, sort of, it's half and half like burn notices where half of it is, you know, I have to get them alone and blah, 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 blah. And half of it is, if I had a heart, it would be breaking right now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a direct quote. Well, and maybe it's that's so funny to okay. me. <laughs> maybe. So maybe the rule is like, he has to like, he has to talk about like not having an emotion he is clearly displaying. And, and that's kind of what I was meaning by, yeah. like, you distrust his own... Got it, yeah. Okay, so... Um... But I think, yeah, like, trust is an interesting word there. Because, like, it's not that I... I don't, it's not like I don't trust him when he says he doesn't have emotions. Because, like, I think not trusting someone apply, implies that you think that they're lying or, like... Or that they are deceitful. I get that. That's I not what think, I mean, though. Yeah, I know. Like Because uh, I do believe, I agree with you that I think he believes what he's saying. Yeah. I think every single thing he says, he believes. Yeah. Um, um, I wonder if there we should add, because I think we can have more rules here, and that allow because, so here's something I've been thinking about. So Burnout has, at the time of recording this episode, four primary tenants, yes. and then the fourth one has like, sub-tenants that, exactly. like, make up it, and so it needs a majority. But Burnout is also a much more contained structural show. Dexter has structure, but it's a little bit more languishing. So I'm wondering if we allow ourselves to have more rules so that, yeah. like, a majority wins, but exactly. it doesn't stifle it, because, like, the show's format necessitates not being stifled. So I, I want to not condense us to like four rules no, of course. if we feel like it could go on so i was thinking about one with the, his dad where yeah, no, the, there's a moment in the flashback with his dad that makes you think this dude should not be a father right <laughs> you know or something where it's like his dad gives him a piece of advice in the flashbacks that you're like i feel like there would have been a better way to explain this harry yeah i think you could have chosen the not serial killer route in fact it's like i see you're killing animals how'd you like to kill a man <laughs> Yeah. Jesus, Harry. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, a moment where Harry makes a bad decision. <laughs> bad, like, a moment where Harry makes a bad parenting decision, yeah. specifically. There you go. That's good. I like that. And what I'm realizing now, that especially in the way we're doing it here, where there's, like, more, is what we're kind of doing is just making Dexter bingo. <laughs> I mean, but that's kind of what Burn Notice That's what I'm saying. Is. Is I never really thought about it till now, mm -hmm. the extent to which we just made Burn Notice bingo. I was also realizing that the word formula is often a better description for what we are 
extracting from these shows. Like, what is the burn notice formula? Yeah. Like, we call it a rubric because we're using it to grade. No, no, of course. But formula is probably a... So, like, we're we're almost, like, reverse engineering what's in the pitch deck. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's... Yeah, this is why I was, like, talking a lot about, like, format. Mm -hmm. Or, like, yeah, like, what is... Yeah. Reverse engineering the pitch deck is a really good way to think about it. Mm -hmm. See, Um, sometimes I come up with it on my own. Usually, though, I just react to you saying smart things, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, you know more about pitching than I do. Not that much. So have you? I mean, you have made a career on knowing about pitching. <laughs> okay, so I want to go back to his killing someone rule because yeah. something has to obviously it can't the just murder. be killing, yeah, right? Like, so something that is worth mentioning is that the first like real murder we see him do is uh, is not just a murder, but he first takes a man. <laughs> to a place where he has dug up the bodies of the children yeah. he molested, which at, which is a fully unnecessary, dramatic, theatrical step. That's what I was going to say. I think it shouldn't just be, he kills someone, there has to be like... A theatricality to it. Not, not like, more specifically, he has to make his little murder cave thing that he makes. Like, there has to be a murder cave in it. I mean, that, every time he murders someone, that's true. I mean, that's, well, yeah, but so is... Extra kill some. I don't well, know. Well, I know. Well, that that's just a placeholder for yeah. we, have, we have to do something related to murder. What if it's more of Dexter makes a performance out of his murder? Because when he just makes his little room and kills them after saying a little thing, like that's not as fun. Like he has to have like a visual aid. Either he he kills them in a place that is important to them. I'm also trying to avoid things that are a little too open to interpretation because the way that the burn notice rules worked is that they are scientific. <laughs> well, they're like, a distinct alias has become a lot more of a conversation point as we except, go. I mean, like, there's definitely true. aliases that he have where we're but like, I that's not like, theatrical enough. Like, basically, this is the alias rule. No, totally. But I think, like, you kind of have to start from as objective place that you can, I think. And well, then... Dexter uses a visual aid to kill someone. In, or, in in the in the course of killing someone, and so visual aid we can interpret as yeah. he has dug up the bodies of these children. A visual aid can be he kills them in a place that feels important to them. I think or the like season can, one guy dies because I think he doesn't he kill the ice truck killer, his brother, in the way that the ice truck killer has been killing women. Doesn't do, he do that? Yeah, I think like Dexter confronts a killer with his own crimes or whatever. Confronts is too vague, but I, I I'm seeing where you're. Going. I mean, like, well, like. Gives, like, Dexter shows the killer themselves, like, their crime. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't... Because it is very confrontational. Because this was the thing that actually struck me watching the pilot as talking about emotions and Mm -hmm. talking... Like, Dexter, I think more than anything, like, in terms of things that Dexter says that I don't believe, (laughs) is... Dexter says that he doesn't really care about justice. Like, the whole idea is that, like, he kills people because he likes to kill people. Mm-hmm. And, and thank God Harry was there to at least make sure he was killing the right people. Whereas, like, Dexter, in the episode, seems so angry at the crime. Mm-hmm. So, like, fundamentally angry at the crime. Mm-hmm. And, like, that there is such a strong sense of justice there. And right? I think he, he masks it by saying like, I would never, I'm killing people who are sloppier than me, who don't have the same discipline as me. But it's like, no, Dexter, you're mad that they killed someone who didn't deserve it. Exactly. And the fact that you understand what it means to deserve it or not means that you have an understanding of and like care about justice. Exactly. And I think like, but I also feel like this is a little bit the show's downfall because it cannot quite commit to that. It mm-hmm. cannot commit to the version of Dexter 
that like genuinely does not care about like that has no feelings about justice Mm -hmm. because it's unclear in the moments because when he's talking to the kids right Mm -hmm. that's a performance right like it's clearly a performance he needs it is functional for him that that is a performance Mm -hmm. he is his survival depends on that performance Mm -hmm. his survival does not depend on the performance while he's killing no, yeah, that's when he is allegedly most unabashedly himself. Exactly, and this version of him seems very concerned with justice. Mm-hmm. And and the show, I don't know if it just is due to a lack of imagination or due to like a need to ground it in something that people can relate to, mm-hmm. can never fully commit to a fully alien Dexter mm-hmm. because of that. And I think that's part of why... It, doesn't ultimately work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you there. Uh, uh, I'm thinking also, though, of like, so the season one arc is, we eventually learn is his brother is also a serial killer. And they they play a game. And like a big part of Dexter's, you know, non-case of the week related shit for that week is just being so obviously enamored with this other serial killer who's like an artist in and of himself and he's like obsessed with that and so i wonder if there's something related to like his opinion of other criminals that we could work into this maybe not necessarily related to the killing specifically but like dexter has to have an opinion about how other murderers do murder yeah i don't know how that could be like i don't know either but that's that's a big theme of is like and and also one of the funniest parts of like later episodes once we have the the new like serial killer the seat once the season arc is revealed like dexter goes to a crime scene and he's like this is so he's like got a huge smile on his face he's like this is so cool you guys but he's just like what the fuck is wrong with you and jokes is like what the fuck is wrong with you I do think you bring up a good point or like, I think I have brought up an interesting topic. Yes. Cause we haven't really talked about the way that it is so crucial to Dexter as a television show that every season Dexter have a buddy. Mm-hmm. And so there should be a rule about the buddy. Okay. Who's Dexter's buddy in season one? Well, that, it's, that's the weirdest one because his buddy is the other serial killer, the other serial killer. And they're so apart for most of it. Whereas like mm-hmm. for most of, the seasons, like, he is interacting with the killer. Well, that would be something maybe we would revisit in season two, Right, but it does seem like one of the things that's kind of crucial, because it is, like, one of the most crucial things to Dexter as a show is that every season he tries to make a friend. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there's something about... So there should be some rule about him trying to make a friend with this, you know? Okay. Maybe not with a specific person, but, like, Dexter tries to reach out to someone. Not Um, because it's useful to him, but because he wants it. Dexter sees himself in someone else, maybe. Mm. Or, because, like, yeah, Dexter, I don't know, like... I mean, because that's sort of similar to the the voiceover has to claim to not have an emotion he's clearly having. It's similar in vibe to that. No, it's kind of like... That's why I want to, like... I don't want to generalize it too much to anyone. I feel like it has to be about the big bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like... There's like some rule about the interactions because I think even though they don't, he doesn't interact directly with his brother for the season. He does have this like excitement with the brother. So like mm-hmm. I don't know, like some sort of thing about their interactions because you have to have like the interactions between Dexter and like the other serial killer, the big bad one. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the show. Mm-hmm. I've just added something. Just yeah, to- you added a really good one. <laughs> I like it. Deb's um, personality puts herself in professional jeopardy. I mean, actually, for De- a Deb, second, Deb's in her own fucking way. <laughs> I was going to like, for a second, I read that as Dexter's personality puts himself in professional like, mm-hmm. Cause actually 
a good rule would be texter almost gets caught. <laughs> like, I think, because that is part of it. Like, talking about Deb, like, what at first, because, like, when I was very first considering the idea that there had to be Dexter rules, I was like, well, Deborah has to swear. That's, like, one of the things. <laughs> but it's, like, but, also so obvious that, like, there's absolutely no way that, like, that she wouldn't swear in that right. episode. Right, so, so I like, think it has to be more about, because this continues to happen in yeah. the, the, the episode that I was continuing to watch, yeah. is that, like, Deb, either Deb's profanity or just her own, like, inability to read social cues in, that in some way mirrors Dexter's own puts her in some kind of professional de- jeopardy. Yeah, no, totally. No, this is a good rule. I gotta say, like, Deborah Morgan on Dexter was, like, another one of those television characters that, like, I, as, like, a teenager, was simultaneously, like, obsessed with because I thought she was very attractive and also wanted to be her. Mm-hmm. Like, she was, like, one of the classic do I like you or do I want to be you characters. Sure. Yeah, I love Deb. I no, think Deb she, is great. I love how just, she's just such a mess. She's, and, like, that's so rare for women in television yeah. to be just completely a mess. But also to not be tragic. Like, she's not tragic. She's very, like, self-assured. She has things she's good at. But yeah. she just, she's so awkward and weird. <laughs> she's so awkward and weird. Like, and, but and she I cares stre- so much. She cares so much, and she is just, and I can't stress this enough, so fucking hot. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's a good rule. Deb has, Deb's personality puts her into professional jeopardy. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a good rule. I think we need to have another kind of maybe wrap-up rule about the additional characters, because, like, it's not just a show about Dexter, right? Like, no. we've got Batista, we've got, what's her name? I can see her so clearly in my yeah. mind. What is her name? The lieutenant, the like, yeah, yeah. what's her name? Uh, Laguerta. Laguerta, so, also really hot. Everyone on this show, there's Laguerta a lot of really is fucking hot. hot. There's so many hot people on this show, I and mean, so many not hot people on this show. <laughs> but like, it's the, interesting because I would have thought that Julie Benz was a lot more your type. Well, no, like Julie Benz is solidly like that. Just I, I want to be, be her. her. Like, yeah. like Julie, like like anytime there's like a nice blonde woman in a thing, I immediately imprint on her and like go like, yeah, that's <laughs> no, that's me. That's the character. Like Julie Benz is the character that I am. Julie. Benz is a really underrated actress. She so is such an underrated actress. Because, like, she's playing so not like she plays... Like, she has the same voice and everything because she has such, like, gentle voice. She does. But she, use, she like, she puts it out there in such a different way when she's playing uh, the character in Buffy and Angel versus this character. Darla. Like, the way that she... She dispatches her, her like, very gentle voice in really distinct ways yeah, she, that you wouldn't expect. You'd think that she would only play a character like she plays on Dexter, but the fact that she can dispatch the exact same, like, pieces in a completely different way... Yeah. It's very oh, impressive. no. no. Julie Benz is great. I adore Julie Benz. Yeah, I do think, yeah, we should have some rules that are... That are related to the the, the side supporting characters. Ca- yeah, supporting cast. So, but he just has marriage problems. Like, that's <laughs> easy. Like... Yeah, but he gets... I don't think they reveal that he has marriage problems until later on. Like, it's like, he it takes a couple of episodes for his marital problems to become clear. It's like, Batista is a wife guy might be better because for a long time he's pretending like they're, everything is good. So, like, Batista, Batista is, a is a wife guy? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, think about Dokes. So you put Dokes because eventually Dokes leaves. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, Dokes gets killed. Yeah, Dokes. So I, don't, I was thinking about Dokes and, like, yeah, I don't but know Yeah, season wanna... one. Remember, the, we this is an evolving document. And be, as That's the true. seasons change, so must we. We can, exactly. All so, right. like, we, so this, what we are doing right now is we are setting up our rubric for season one of Dexter. Got it, got it. 
I'm, uh, I'm just writing down all the side characters no, no, so course. we have them. The problem is that, like, with La Guerta, like, the first rule that I have is too close to my other rule that I pitch, which is that, like, La Guerta is so horny. <laughs> like, like... La Guerta's horny for Dexter. Exactly, but we've already got a sex rule. La Guerta's vanity gets in her way. That's uh, similar to the dev rule, but it is sort of... like a a central part of LaGuerta's character for a long time is that like, like, or or maybe it's like LaGuerta dispatches her charisma to get what she wants to like, and makes a mistake Uh, or something like that. Cause there's an episode a little bit later where they have their first primary suspect for the ice truck murders. And so LaGuerta goes on TV and is like, we found him. We have to catch him. And obviously it's not him. And then like, so colossally fucks up because her, she's chasing her own vanity. So I remember in Burn Notice, we essentially had a catch-all supporting cast section. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're developing here is like all of these characters have very specific flaws. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like you could just like make a macro rule that like the supporting character's tragic flaw gets in their way. Mm, that's like, interesting. And, like, yeah, Debs is that she's Deb. LaGuerta's, like, vanity. Batista is that he's a wife guy. <laughs> is that a fatal flaw? On Twitter it is. The horny guy never gets plots, does he? He's just horny. Yeah, the other CSI guy. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but he's just horny. <laughs> Deb's mouth. You just wrote Deb's mouth. <laughs> well, because we've, yeah, no. we've simplified the rule to at least two supporting characters' flaw gets in their own exactly. way. Exactly. So it's Deb's mouth is her flaw. <laughs> LaGuerta's vanity or Batista being a wife guy. I think it needs to be something like I like saying Batista's a wife guy, but I think it's more about like Batista's like being bad at relationships. Yeah. Like, but how, how do we define that in a similarly concise uh, way as Deb's mouth? It's not Batista's dick. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I can't think of anything better than. Because I don't remember what the con- the concrete yeah. concern is. It might be like a workaholicism. Yeah, I don't remember either. Like, maybe it's just Batista disappoints his wife. Right. <laughs> also, yeah, I think that's fine. Also, another thing that I was thinking a lot about watching this show in the context of Burn Notice, because I will say, I had briefly forgotten when I started watching the episode that it also takes place in Miami. I did too! <laughs> yeah, like, like, we've talked about the fact that it takes place in Miami before. Sure. But, like, I had forgotten because it's mm-hmm. been a while. I was like, oh, right. Obviously, this is another show that takes place in Miami. And, like, one of the main differences, I would say, between, like, Earn Notice and Dexter is that Michael can't speak Spanish. And <laughs> in Dexter, people are speaking Spanish constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, there's multiple, like, Spanish-speaking characters. Exactly. It's not just like, characters who can speak Spanish. Exactly. But there's, like... Dexter speaks a lot of Spanish, like, says a lot of random Spanish things in the pilot. Does that continue? Uh, yeah. Like, Dexter gratuitously speaks Spanish? <laughs> I don't know if that's a central plot point. I don't I know. Think, I think, uh... No, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying for this yeah. section. But no, like, he definitely does continue speaking Spanish. I do think that, like, to their credit, the showrunners of Dexter, like, appreciate that if you're going to be in Miami, you should probably speak Spanish, and it's more of a world-building detail. It is. It rather is. than, like, a bizarre, like... Yeah. <laughs> No, no, it was just funny. It was so funny that, like, the way that, like, Burn Notice, like, no one speaks Spanish. Like, that is the thing about, like, Burn Notice takes place in Miami, but, like, other than just its weird obsession with cartels, it's, like, does not engage with the fact that it takes place in Miami. Mm -mm. Like, whereas this show does. Yeah, in their mind, I think Miami is, like, chicks on the beach. Yeah. Cartels. Exactly. 
Like, I don't think, like, it's, it's very much like a white person's, you know, vacationer's understanding of Miami. Yeah. And I will say, like... Dexter's Miami feels more lived in. It does. But I also do think it still feels very, like, a white Touristy? Person. Yeah. No, it's very touristy. That mm-hmm. is the thing. I would say, like, touristy is actually a very accurate description of a lot of the ways that Dexter approaches its themes. Like, it's very interested in people that are not just normal white people. Mm-hmm. But it's also written by, like, people that are probably normal white people. Right. Like, and I'm saying normal very pointedly. Like, right. And I think it is obsessed, like, I think it is interested in, I don't know, like, Miami culture and, like, a way that it is interested in, like, neurodivergence and sexuality. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... Has a passing interest in, like, ooh, this seems fun to dip my toes into for exactly. a little bit. Yeah. It's a very white writer's room yeah. on Dexter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to their credit, a lot of their their cast is non-white. I mean, yeah. not a lot, but like a a, a better no. percentage, certainly, than Burn Notice. No, right, totally. Okay, so here's what we have so far, just as like a first draft. So number one, I wrote this. I don't know if this is what we're going to end with, but we're trying to figure out something related to the murder. So I have for number one, as a rule, Dexter holds a mirror to his victim's own depravity when he kills them. No, I like this. This is great. You I like that? that? Yeah, I saw that. I was like, yep, yeah, no, that's it. That's okay, what it is. Perfect. Uh, number two, Dexter almost gets caught. Uh-huh. And we can put that broadly. It can no, be, totally. you know, we, we might even get to the point where we're like, Dokes is, <laughs> Dokes yeah. feels, Dokes notices something he's not supposed to. <laughs> or that no one else does, even though it's I very mean, obvious. I mean, he almost gets caught a lot on the show. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, there's plenty of. There's plenty of interpretations of yeah. this one. Uh, okay, number three, two characters have to bring up sex independently of each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> Number four, the voiceover has to claim not to have an emotion that Dexter is clearly having. Uh-huh. Uh, number five, a moment in a flashback. There has to be a moment in a flashback where Harry makes a bad parenting decision. <laughs> good rule. These are good rules. Uh, and then number six, this is our catch-all. At least two supporting characters' flaw gets in their own way. So Deb, either Deb's mouth, LaGuerta's vanity, Batista disappointing his wife, or Doke's something. Yeah. So there, there's an episode not far after the pilot where, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the episode where Dokes is found out to have been sleeping with another recently murdered officer's wife? Vaguely. So there's a, there, it's, it's like season episode three or four. Dokes uh, is on scene because the wife of a undercover officer was like attacked in her home and he gets there first and he seems like very invested. So he's like, oh, she's a wife of a cop. Uh, and then she eventually passes away from her injuries, but it becomes clear that it was more than just somebody hurt the wife of a cop. We got to protect each other. It was while the other, while the husband was undercover who has also recently died um, as a result of this, he was, Dokes was fucking this woman right. and all the other cops find out about this and end up getting the person responsible for both murders on Dokes's case to punish Dokes for fucking the officer's wife and like kind of going and like Dokes has to like live with the fact that his own team is trying to like get him killed. Eventually they use basically use Dokes as bait and end up getting him for almost killing Dokes, but they let them beat up Dokes quite a bit. And like Dokes is so infuriated, not even for his own safety, but because he can't believe that officers would be using the law in such a way. Dokes feels, especially in that episode early on, like he's set up to be a person who holistically fully buys into cops as peacekeeping officers who must stay within the letter of the law because the law is what it's supposed to be. 
He feels very black and white in his understanding of justice. Um, possibly. I don't know. And like, that's one of the reasons why he doesn't like Dexter. Because he's like, I don't understand why you seem to enjoy this. This is horrible. This is depraved. Dexter is an interesting character. There's a thing going on. Actually, there was a moment in the pilot that wasn't about Dex. It was actually about LaGuerta. Where like, Debs is a line about how like, I don't know how someone so like, dumb got ahead and mm-hmm. Dexter's like because they play the game and it makes me think a lot about the way that stories like this like want to tell stories about like cop politics mm-hmm. and how like certain people get ahead not because they're good cops because they can play the game mm-hmm. and stuff like that and like when you like having characters representing like not the justice part of cops and like the goodness part of cops the goodness part but like the politics part of cops mm-hmm. and the inev- political part of the cops. political part and inevitably those characters are people of color mm-hmm. and and it becomes this thing of like so there's this weird uncomfortable undercurrent when like deb's like how does someone like that get put in charge where it's like here is this woman of color mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah and, 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 and once again the textual explanation is that laguerta is just like a vain like yeah. charismatic fool who cares more about her own image than actual justice yeah. but this show doesn't exist in a vacuum this exactly. characterization does not exist in a vacuum no, it doesn't. Like, that is the thing. And, like, and I bring this up in relation to Dokes because, like, Jokes is such a, like, cartoonishly angry black man. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, like, and having this character. And so I think that's what. But, but like, it's having, also, like, an interesting thing because Dokes is right. No, but this is the thing. Is that, like, having, like, Dokes is right. Mm-hmm. Um, Dexter but, is a freak. Dexter is a sick fuck. Exactly. But also, like, Dexter, like... But we are still on the side of Dexter. We are still on the side of Dexter. And, like, in the end, part of the narrative thrust of the show and thematic thrust of the show is, like, maybe Dexter's right, actually. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because Dexter is a little bit of a vigilante. He's Mm -hmm. a little bit... And, like, the show really... Oh, he's 100% a vigilante. He's a vigilante. Like, the show really leans into this later. Mm -hmm. Like, the vigilante aspect of him. So, like, jokes is to Dexter as, like, LaGuerta is to Deb... Mm-hmm. And, like, the way that the show is using these people of color to kind of be these, like... Foils. Foils, but also, like, people who maybe do or do not care about the things that our character cares about. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like... Dokes is such a fascinating character to me because, like, I think there's a lot that's very problematic about Dokes. Sure. But, like, he's right. And, mm-hmm. like, he kind of... Like, and the show doesn't try to pretend that he's not. No. But it still, like, casts him in a way that like, we're mad at him. Exactly, that we're mad at him for being right. I am simultaneously glad, but kind of wish Dexter was written by people who are a little bit smarter than this. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, like, the show is not really weaponizing this. The show mm-hmm. is, like, a smarter version of Dexter would weaponize the fact that we like him to make him a truly awful person. Mm-hmm. And it would, like, really interrogate more the way in which, like, the thing that Dexter is doing is, like, the thing that is, like, dead, rotting heart of policing. Mm-hmm. It's, like... How much of it do you think is that the, sh- like, the, the writers weren't smart enough or clever enough? And how much of it do we maybe want to ascribe to Showtime in the light of they really wanted to kill Dexter in the series finale and Showtime would not let them? And I wonder how much Showtime... Ask them to shy away from the darker... No, I'm sure they did. Like, I am definitely sure they did. I don't know. It's hard to... But it's also kind of hard to tell. I'm 
honestly really fascinated to watch the new season. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's good. Like, but I also like watching the show, like, because like I said, like, at the beginning of the podcast, like, Dexter feels like a very old school pulpy thing in that it has very immediate sensual ambitions. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it wants to be like a show about sex and violence, first mm-hmm. and foremost, mm-hmm. and not like, and it has themes, but it's not really about the themes. It's mm-hmm. about the sex and violence. Right. And, like, in a way that shows don't really do anymore, like, because everything kind of got subsumed under this kind of post-pulp or this post-post-pulp of, like, really kind of intellectualized. And I'm, like, curious, like, nowadays, like, you would do Dexter, you would just do the things that I am saying mm-hmm. because, like, that's kind of standard now. The certain The kind of thematics mm-hmm. and, like... People are allowed to be just bad people with moments of goodness rather than good with moments of badness. Or just, but like in a more like sense that like, there's no way that you would make Dexter in 2021 or, or 2022 or whenever it first came out the season and not be really, really aware of like policing and like all these, all the things that I'm talking about right now, mm-hmm. like there's so much more of an awareness of these things than there were when Dexter was first coming out. Do you know what the premise of the new season is? Um, he's got a kid, right? Well, basically, he has moved... At the end of the series, he fakes his own death. He doesn't actually die. He fakes his own death and runs away. And he runs away to basically be a lumberjack. He hasn't killed in a decade, allegedly, since it, it, in the premise of the new series. I haven't seen it yet. So he has run away. He hasn't killed in 10 years. He's, like, gotten a handle on his dark passenger, who is now Deb. Deb is now his, like, conscience. Right, yes. Uh, which I think is a cool device, That's a smart... especially since she's... Spoiler alert. Yeah, they kill Fucking her off. dead. They kill her off in the show, so you gotta bring her back somehow because you can't do Dexter without her. Exactly. But so he but he's there and his son, Harrison, finds him. Yeah. And he is contending with like his son possibly exhibiting his own dark passenger while some killings start, like a serial killer starts killing in the town that he has run away from. So now he has to kind of like go back into like his yeah. base instincts and grapple with like who he is now so far removed from exactly. what he once was. But it becomes a thing where like a new Dexter season has to be about Dexter in the way that all legacy mm-hmm. like reboots have to be about. But the my property. point is that I don't know how much the police factors into it because he's not a police. No, he's right, not a forensics guy anymore. That's true. But I think, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I feel like that's probably the way that they're going to get around it because no offense to the writers. I, I mean, and I haven't seen yeah. Dexter in a long enough time. I can't say it for sure. I don't know, know if I trust them <laughs> to get to the heart of the darkness of policing. And I, I think, and I'm not specifically talking about policing. I mean, I am, but you I'm are. also just like in a sense of like a more intellectualized Dexter. What I'm saying is that Dexter is not a very intellectualized show, mm-hmm. but like nowadays all genre media is so much more intellectualized Mm -hmm. that like to me it'd be interesting to see like a more self-aware intellectualized form of Dexter because like I think on one hand I kind of like the pulpiness and not in lack of intellectualism Mm -hmm. intellectualness in Dexter Mm -hmm. but I'm also like curious what that would look like I I am also missing the fact that like if the show was like 10% smarter it would deal more with the way the themes that it would use the themes that it is invoking more in, intentionally mm-hmm. rather than just like, Oh, this seems fun. Exactly. And so like, it'll have more of an awareness of the fact that like at the center, you have this character who is like fundamentally 
it's about justice and monstrousness and like the way these things sit next to each other. And like there's this thing going on in the episode where like it is kind of also just about the monstrousness, but like the way that of whiteness and the way that like like the fact that you have this white guy who is a cop mm-hmm. who also like is like a psychopath who kills people mm-hmm. and is like of the main cast of cops like the only white guy mm-hmm. and like and everyone else who is a cop is not a white guy mm-hmm. but he is a white guy and he is a murderer. So, like, he kind of, like, winds up standing in for the, like, fundamental, like, white supremacist part at the center of, like, policing that has been there since, like, the police were created to, like, find escaped slaves. Mm-hmm. Like, like he is there, it is there in the center, and the way that, like, it frames him and Deb as, like, kind of being the two people that we are rooting for against this system mm-hmm. is interesting yeah and i don't i also don't think that that was intentional no of course it wasn't no no of course that's what i'm saying is like nothing that's happening in dexter that is interesting is intentional that's what i'm saying and that's why i think that's why i'm saying is like that would it would be interesting to watch a dexter written with intentionality yeah that's fair that's what i'm that's kind of what i'm saying i see i see see. um that is like my main point but i think like the thing that makes that lack of intentionality but like the potency of all those themes is most interesting with Dokes. Okay. Because, like, Dokes is this character who is, like, right Mm -hmm. and hates Dexter Mm -hmm. and is, like, the only person who can see Dexter for who he is. And, like, he is a black man Mm -hmm. who sees the... can see through, like, the, like, exterior of Dexter as, like, a friendly, harmless white guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he will eventually, like, get with Rita... And, like, have two and a half kids and all this stuff. And he immediately sees through it. Mm-hmm. But he is also this, like, cartoonishly angry, almost, like, stereotypical angry black man. But he's also just right. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing is, as the show goes on, like, you cannot help but empathize with Dokes. Dokes's anger mm-hmm. so much because like yeah it's he, so... he does have it's funny that you invoked like Deb versus LaGuerta in this because it is a very like Deb versus LaGuerta way that Dokes is dealing like Dokes is so frustrated he's like how does no one see what a creepy motherfucker this guy is I'm am I crazy what's happening exactly and I think that's like Dokes gets gaslit is that a yeah fatal Dokes flaw gets... <laughs> honestly maybe that's it maybe like Dokes gets ga- or like because that's the thing is like Jokes' thing is that he's Cassandra. <laughs> Jokes is Cassandra. Like, he is, like, that is the the fundamental thing about Jokes. But yeah, Jokes gets gaslit is honestly a good way to put it. And <laughs> it's a pretty accurate representation of what America does to people of color. Mm-hmm. So when we say Jokes gets gaslit, does that, have, does that mean that he says something that no one really acknowledges? Or does that mean that he says something about Dexter being creepy and someone like placates him? Like, oh, you're just saying that. Or, oh, leave him alone. Like, does it require a response I mean, for I think, gaslighting? To... I mean, that gaslighting requires response. I know. And, and, and I understand um, that. That's like, what I'm saying. It's like, do you want the rule to be Jokes gets gaslit? Or just... Dokes says a thing that is obviously true. <laughs> or just Dokes is being gaslit by Dexter. Yeah. Because that just only requires Dexter to do something that Dokes notices. No, but I think it's... That goes under the, like, radar. I mean, I, I don't think know if he people... has to be gaslit by Dexter, mm-hmm. but he has to be gaslit about Dexter. 
Okay. Because, like, other people can gaslight him about Dexter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering, like, does this mean that Dokes has to say something about Dexter being creepy? Or does it mean that Dokes has to say something about Dexter being creepy and someone else has to say, he's not being creepy, relax. I don't, well, I mean. Like, how, how many, like, I what actually know. fulfills this? I don't know, because the thing is, this is a thing where I, w- I would have to, like. Watch more of Dexter. Watch more of Dexter to see how often it, like, happens. Because every single line of dialogue that Doke speaks in the pilot is him just saying that he hates Dexter. (laughs) Yeah, he he chills out a little bit more about that. Like, he obviously still hates Dexter, but there are are more instances where they're just needing to solve a case together, and he, like, has to just allow it. I love Dokes. Dokes is great. (laughs) I I like Dokes, too. I love Dokes. Dokes is a great character. One of the best memes of all time. One of the best memes of all time. Like, I'm just remembering that guy on Vine who did, like, the dokes. Exactly. The thing is, in some ways... Nine lives, motherfucker. (laughs) In some ways, that is the show's biggest pop cultural legacy. It honestly is. Like, I know this is not Dexter Bingo, (laughs) but, like, that the episode where he says that thing Mm -hmm. is a great episode of Dexter. Like, (laughs) even if it does none of those other things, because Mm -hmm. it does, like, that is, like, the trump card. That is, like, the wild card. It is, like, automatic win. So are we still doing the great episode of television and episode of television, great episode of Dexter? Yes, totally. I think that is, yes. Something I was thinking about late in season six of Burn Noticed is, like, how limiting it is to either be a great episode or just an episode. And if there isn't a middle ground that would at least acknowledge the growth of like the standard episode where not every episode of a television show can be great. It just, it it can't maintain that, but it feels unfair (laughs) to either be, it it feels unfair to be pass or fail. Here's what I will say about that. Mm -hmm. I think I would worry about that more if we were a review show. That's fair. I don't think... I just feel like looking at the hard data of Burn Noticed, it feels unfair that like season six, which by and large had a lot of really strong episodes that just weren't strong enough to be great, that it looks like it was a worse overall season than previous ones, even though we acknowledge multiple times. It's like basically I'm saying the data doesn't back up what we know to be true, which was that it was a fairly good season of Burn Burn Notice in many ways. And season five as well. Like both of those seasons. I think we could, we could like have some sort of thing. There's just no acknowledgement in the data. When you look at just the data, it looks like they weren't very good seasons, but they actually were. And so I've just been thinking of like, how do we account? How do we, how do we counterbalance? Well, I would say like, I think you could build stuff into it. I think if you add too many, like, no, I know. It. Then it just gets, you're so bogged down in the ranking system of exactly. like, is it a five or a four? Exactly. You know? And I, that's why like, and I feel that. I hear that. I think that speaks more to the limits of like data to describe art. That's fair. I think you could build stuff into it to make it a little bit better. But I think that's just like, you can't use data to talk about to, like art that way. Which, there's a reason that, like, we, with these rules, especially in Burn, in Burn Notice, like, we tried to make rules that felt as objective as possible. Because mm-hmm. I think, like... As bad of a job as we do at that sometimes. Exactly. But, like, part of it, the reason that we do that is also to help sketch the limits of that. Like, mm-hmm. at least for me, at least, one of the things about having these rules is to discuss the limits of these rules mm-hmm. and discuss the fact that, like, because, like, procedural television is such, like, a 
hit the beats thing Mm -hmm. where like having these rules is acknowledging the limits of the rules Mm -hmm. and like kind of talking about the limits of the rules like there's a reason i think like great episode of television is the one thing that we talk about that is not objective and Mm -hmm. it's like fully like like a decision based on like the vibe based on like criteria that like we have in ourselves mm-hmm. like we have certain criteria for that Thematic but there resonance yeah. consistency but, good use of detail and transitionary scenes but it's all ultimately a like you know what when you see a thing it's mm-hmm. that, like the whole point of like having the rules is talking about what rules can and cannot capture sure that's fair um, yeah I, I just figured i'd bring that up as like an acknowledgement of what else would we in building this theoretical new show no, totally. be experiencing? But I, I, I feel you. And I and yeah. I had the same hesitations. It was just like, now I can't remember which seasons of Bird Notice were best just because like, if I look back at the data, it doesn't actually tell me that. Which, to your credit and to your point, maybe is the point. No, I think it is. <laughs> but it is frustrating because I like to be able to like archive and catalog. No, can I say, I do understand. I am someone like... I am someone who has a giant spreadsheet of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> it is also like, that is full of like data. I am someone who in the spreadsheet ranks all of the mm-hmm. episodes. Yep, and then I what I, too. and then what I end up doing is like taking the rant, the rankings and using the rankings as like an averaging out the rankings to figure out season quality and stuff like that. Sure. And so like, I understand mm-hmm. the impulse to the have impulse some kind of data like to, to archive that. Okay, well, so so the, these are our rules. Do you, can you think of anything that we've left out that's integral to the formula of Dexter? Because um, this is six. Like, yeah, and I think that's solid. Just, like, do we need something for Rita? Oh, yeah, Rita. Rita, Rita would need to be... Uh, uh, like supporting, yeah. Maybe it needs to be three supporting characters. Because so like, we, like, we have five supporting characters. But feels- I also, the thing is that, like, other than Rita, all of her other supporting characters are cops. Mm-hmm. Like Rita feels like a different category, mm-hmm. you know. She's in a different show than the other characters are, and it's also a character that like exists. All of her plots are about Dexter mm-hmm. in a way that like the other cast isn't. That's fair. So I think like there could be a rule about Rita and Dexter. Cause, yeah, because it does feel like we need that so that we have an uneven number and there is a clear majority. That's true. Yeah. So final final rule has to be Rita related. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, what is... Because like a lot of Rita is Dexter learning humanity and relation to other people that is not... That is like f- far removed from his impulses. His impulses towards Rita have nothing to do with his cover. Right. And I mean, like, I would say, like, talking about Dexter's emotions about Rita mm-hmm. get you close to, like, the voiceover mm-hmm. claiming emotion thing. So, like, mm-hmm. I think that's covered in that rule. Mm-hmm. So, like, what else does Rita do for the show? Like, what is Rita's other functions? Well, I think something that's interesting about Rita is that she is not, like, Dexter wants her to be very clear cut. She is a woman. I take her to an event. We have a little conversation. Then I take her home. And everyone else sees me as a caring boyfriend. And she asks nothing of me. But Rita cannot be contained in that because very early on, she starts to exhibit like, hey, I want now that I'm like coming out of my own traumatic shell, I would like to explore things that I used to like that are more complicated. Like Rita presents a complication to him that is not as easily solved as (laughs) like solve a murder, have a murder. Like, Rita is more complex than that. Rita forces him to adapt in ways that his traditional cop plot lines don't. 
So maybe that's it. Rita forces Dexter to adapt. Something like, like that. Like that, you know. Because I don't want to do a Rita brings out Dexter's humanity No, thing, I, that's what I'm saying is that like. Both because of the voiceover tr- thing, but also because of the underlying sort of uncomfortable way that that. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. That's why I was saying. neurodivergence. Yeah. That's why I was saying like Rita forces Dexter to adapt. Like that's like not. or. But what does adapt mean? Like I mean, making this an objective yeah, I don't know. Tenon is tough. I know, that's the thing. It's like... Maybe this is something that we leave to the audience. Like, audience, have you watched Dexter? Have you listened this far in the episode? Maybe. you want to tweet us? Like, what's a, an interesting rubric rule, at least for season one, Rita? Yeah, related to Rita. Like, yeah, because, like, the thing is... Like, maybe Rita challenges yeah. Dexter. At least season one, but also, you know, like, the other four seasons of... Like, the full four seasons of the show, because it was a show that ran for four seasons. (laughs) I did read a trivia uh, thing about Dexter that was like, the season four finale was so strong that many fans consider it to be the series finale. I mean, (laughs) that's not really a trivia fact, but it's not wrong. No, yeah, like, totally, like, (laughs) a really good season. Yeah, it is a really good season. It's a really good season finale. It's a really good series finale. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to have Rita forces Dexter to adapt have a placeholder placeholder mm. rule. I would love to hear the audience like have input on these rules mm-hmm. that they have. Yeah, like, please do. Obviously, we, we are one, accepting for the first time ever. Burn notice is accepting criticism. Yeah, from exactly. the audience because you know this is more of an experiment and a thought experiment that it is hard and fast rules, and we we do want to include you. Exactly. What do you think of these criteria? What do you think of the this rubric? Is there a different way you would phrase any of them? And what would you propose for the reader rule? Exactly. But yeah, I think I think this is a solid rubric. I think so too. I, I think, I'm happy with where we fell on these. Exactly for a show that we're not going to do, but. Um, <laughs> I know it's it's really the most dangerous thing in the world where the longer you and I talk about this the more that I'm like what if we just like watch Dexter together <laughs> oh my god that's solid I would love to hear people what people think about it yep and um, as always you can reach out to us about it on twitter at burn noticed pod with a d or you can email us for longer form thoughts uh burn noticed podcast at gmail.com All right. Well, with that, there's nothing left to say, but bye. (laughs) And thanks to Vincent E.L. for the use of our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until then, I concur with my dark passenger here. Bye. You are my dark passenger. I am the dark passenger. You make me want to start podcasts that I don't want to start. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right.